Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Well, as Josh Reddick's favorite philosopher, Ric Flair, says, to be the man, you have to beat the man. And the Astros get to try to beat the man in baseball over the last hundred years. The New York Yankees, after beating the Red Sox, wow, it, it's really amazing stuff. And Joining me now is, uh, along with RG, is Greg Lucas. And Greg, this is really a special time in Houston right now. And, you know, this is something that would have never happened if the Astros had stayed in the National League, the chance to beat the Red Sox and the Yankees to go to the World Series. Well, not both of them, no. And certainly uh, they might have the chance to beat the Dodgers. They might be able to knock off three uh, storied franchises, at least if they can uh, keep things going. I think it's very, very exciting. I think that uh, uh, the Astros proved during the regular season they were very good, and then they proved in the Red Sox series that they were exactly what they were during the regular season because they still won three out of four. Uh, They lost one. It's very unusual for you to not lose a game in the postseason. So uh, they got that one out of the way and bounced back very well, especially the way they had to bounce back in uh, game four and I'm so happy for the fans and for everyone because uh, it, it, anything that makes baseball bigger in this town makes me happy. RG, uh, one of the numbers that just jumped off the page for me when I was looking at it, and this is something I don't know if too many people had noticed, but Keiko's career ERA versus the Yankees is a 1.41. His ERA versus the Indians is 2.21. He's, of course, the game one starter. And then Verlander even his career versus the Yankees is a 3.87, and career versus the Indians is 4.71. So uh, your two best pitchers are really going to benefit here by going up against uh, the Yankees if you look at their career numbers. And with Verlander, that's a huge sample size. First, again, I want to echo what Greg said. It's very exciting for Houston to be hosting this ALCS. Again, we discussed it on the postgame the other day that uh, the Astros haven't had too many opportunities to even be in the championship series. So Houston revel in this right now. But getting back to your point, as far as for Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander, it definitely is advantageous having Dallas Keuchel. He did win the playoff game two years ago against the Yankees. But you also have to look at it, too, when you look at these career numbers. This is a different Yankees team, different lineup. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, although he has faced Aaron Judge and he, and he has faced some of these younger uh, Yankees hitters, uh, you know, Greg Bird, Aaron Hicks. This is a different Yankees team, even with D.D. Gregorius. I mean, this isn't the, what Jason Verlander has been compiling stats for for years. So you have to kind of look at it from that perspective. I mean, they do have some veterans in the lineup. But again, you know, you the Yankees have kind of rebuilt their lineup now. They've got a lot of youth in there. There's the, the one-two punch that we all know about with Aaron Judge and, and Gary Sanchez. They do have D.D. Gregorius, who was very big in the Game 5 win against uh, – the Cleveland Indians. So, uh, and they do have some veterans still in their lineups, like a Chase Hudley and a Jacoby Ellsbury. So I think that the Astros definitely do have an advantage because of Keuchel's success going in game one with, uh, with, with Dallas Keuchel there, the lefty against that lineup. But uh, as far as for Justin Verlander too, I just look at more how he pitched in the uh, latter half of the season when he arrived with the Astros. That's why I'm excited about him because a lot of these career numbers he piled up against the Yankees were against different lineups. Different lineups, and also uh, he wasn't playing them as much, certainly, as he was Detroit, uh, Cleveland because they were in the same division. Uh, and so his numbers against Cleveland, they got to see him a lot, and they obviously had done a little bit better job of figuring him out. I think the thing I like about uh, him, too, is he, generally speaking, has excellent command and control. 
And I think what we have seen in the postseason, I think this can make everybody a scout. That's the one advantage of all these games against each other. Because, for instance, you'll note that the Red Sox had some success once they started jamming Correa. Fastballs in, fastballs in, fastballs in. And then, of course, then maybe you come out. But basically the the concept was to jam him. Uh, The uh, uh, Indians had tremendous success against uh, Judge because they knew that he cannot hit a breaking ball down and away. He cannot hit it. But the key is you can't miss it. If you hang it, goodbye. It's 20 miles out in the stands. But they were hitting their pitches. The, The point is you can look at these games. You can see what works. The question is, can you execute what works? And if you do, uh, then you're going to have the upper hand. Does it make any difference that the Astros are 5-2 and two against the Yankees during the regular season? The, their starters' ERA was 3-11 compared to the Yankees' 7-8-3. And does it make any difference, guys, do you think that Brian McCann knows a lot of these guys? I mean, he, he was with the Yankees just last year. Well, I think it'll I think, help uh, as far as pitching to guys. He knows where where the where you want to pitch to them. And it boys goes back to what I said before: if you make the pitches. No, I, I was going to say the the same thing. Basically, I think it's more important that Brian McCann maybe knows the tendencies of Yankees hitters and can inform on that. And then what Greg was saying before about looking at where the weak spots are, because again, with a regular season, that's you know. Seven games they played, I believe, this year against the Yankees during the regular season. It was a different time. They hadn't even acquired some of the talent that they got at the July 31st trading deadline. So, And we've seen it in the past. Teams that dominate during the regular season all of a sudden are upended by, in the postseason by a, a team that gets hot and has a different look to it. So I, I think it's more important that just – how what Greg was be, uh, saying before is being able to execute. You know, can Dallas Keuchel put his uh, fastball and his slider and his cutter, all his pitches in the right places? And and can uh, Justin Verlander the same way? Will he be able to get his fastball up 98, 99 miles per hour like he's been able to do with the Astros and then pick his spots for his slider, his breaking pitches? So I, I think that those are the kind of things that you're going to need to see and ha- being able to put those over correctly, being able to execute correctly. I like this with veterans. I, I will say this. That's why those two guys, especially, they're veteran enough that uh, they can sometimes make an adjustment if something's a little off or maybe they have an inning where they're running behind in a few counts. They can make adjustments. The Yankees do have a couple of younger pitchers that uh, maybe, uh, as we saw in the first game against Cleveland, maybe – uh, the uh, moment got to them a little bit, but they've got great arms. And, of course, they have uh, the big old guy. And, boy, how you can't, he's big and he's old, but he can still pitch, uh, That who pitched last night. So you've, they've, got, uh, they've got a nice depth team, but they are not as good as the Astros. But that does not mean they cannot beat the Astros. That is baseball. Is the key to this game, RG, the first six or se- well, both of you guys, uh, either one of you, is the key going to be the first five or six innings? Because it looks like on, on paper anyway, the Astros need to get to the Yankees early because if you let this get to a game that's decided late, the Yankees have such a huge advantage in the bullpen. You know, I kind of wanted to ask you about this because my feeling on, on this was that I, I really, I, I know that A.J. Hinch says have to win each game and he's going to evaluate it with, with each each game as it progresses and how the team is doing because you have to win that game and then decide about the next one. But I really, as we've seen in the postseason, I know that managers are yanking pitchers much earlier, but you really need to still get effective starting pitching. The Yankees were able to beat the Cleveland Indians because they were able to get a good start from Luis Severino. 
Tanaka was sensational. They got, like you said, CC Sabathia, really good outings. So I think it's imperative, especially with the Astros having the first two games at home, to get that starting pitching. And that is where their advantage is, too, with the lineups, because you don't want to get into that Yankees bullpen when they can start bringing in Robertson and Conley and even Batons has been up and down. Chad Green, before they get to Araldis Chapman, I mean, they really have some an arsenal in the bullpen, and we've seen the Astros have kind of spotty relief. So I kind of wanted to know your thoughts on that as well. Well, I agree with that, that uh, the Yankee uh, bullpen uh, uh, seems to be uh, stronger than the Astros, but I don't want to discount some of the guys. Uh, I, I, I really like uh, Musgrove since he has been put in the bullpen. I think he's done a good job. He's a counter with uh, – with Davinsky, who was very good the first time, second time he was in, not so. Uh, and I, I think that uh, the only one that I don't ever want to see in a important situation, well, there's really two, but one is uh, is obviously the lefty, Liriano. He, he, at this stage of his career, he just makes too many bad pitches. And uh, in the World Series or the American League Championship Series, that's something you just can't have. Somewhat the same case with uh, Gregerson. He'll have a good inning, but he'll make one bad pitch where he hangs it, and he, he gets he gets bitten for it. Uh, but at some point, they're both going to have to see some action, presuming they're both on the active roster, and uh, uh, hopefully it will be in games where the Astros have uh, have leads of some note. Uh, but, yeah, it could turn out into the bullpen, but I do think I agree with you also that uh, the, the first two games with the Astros having – uh, Keiko and, 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 you know, and, and going at it right off the top two, the top two guys, one and two, they should be able to give them innings. And uh, that uh, should uh, not require the Astros to have to go to the pen much, but it also is important for the Astros offense to get some runs early to take the pressure off. And, you know, that's the way it works with every team, though, really. It's uh, it's not different with the Yankees. They they would probably be saying exactly the same thing. We need to get some runs early, uh, but uh, we might have a better chance of coming back against their bullpen than they will against ours. I say that, and yet the Astros have actually been a very good late-inning team uh, in scoring runs this year. So it just has to, it has to play out, I guess. Well, another thing, too, is the reason uh... – was talking about for the first two games with Keichel and Verlander, because we know by the time the Astros, they haven't announced it yet, how they're going to do games three and four and potentially game five, or if the series extends to six and seven, how the pitching will go from that point forward. So it, it really is important that they get, uh, I believe strong starts from Keichel and Verlander, but then again, we don't know if it's going to be Peacock, if it's going to be McCullers, maybe Colin McHugh is added to the roster and so then you start juggling those pitchers. Maybe we'll get an inkling if one of those guys comes into the first two games as to who might start. But it's really kind of a juggling act there. And you really want to have those first two games, hopefully, with a 2-0 lead and not go into it where you have to feel like you need a must win in New York, in the Bronx, having to go up with a guy who might get yanked after a couple of innings and you're using your your entire bullpen. I mean, that. That is just not the scenario the Astros want. They went into Boston at least with a 2-0 lead. But remember, they had uh, they wouldn't designate who the pitcher of the game three was until they knew whether or not they'd have to use him earlier. And I think that's smart. Although I'll tell you what, I this is a gut feeling, but my gut my gut preference would be ultimately to put McCullers in as the starter for game three with Peacock as his quick backup. And if in fact they do. Uh, activate McHugh, which some people think will happen because it's a longer series. Uh, he's another one of those uh, quick uh, quick relief guys who can give you innings. 
And uh, actually, even Musgrove is in that form. He hasn't, you know, lost his conditioning yet to be able to go long. So they do have some guys who can uh, get in there. I just caution them to be too quick with it because at times there's been questions that maybe uh, maybe they've been a little too quick uh, taking some of the guys out. And then, they get, well, I guess game game what is it? Game three was the best example where uh, they, you know, Peacock wasn't great. But uh, he was out of there pretty quick, and as it turned out, uh, the guys that followed him were ineffective. So um, you have to be careful with that, too. I like putting Lance McCullers in to start in a potential Game 3, too, because, A, he's had some success against the Yankees. I know it was earlier this year, but they only hit 213 against him. They had a 543 uh, OPS. So... It, he's familiar with the lineup and he has just that stuff that you want to see in the postseason. We know he has the, you know, really hard throwing fastball and he also has a devastating, devastating curveball when it's working. And it would just be nice to see him in there if he's, if he's feeling fine and looking the way that he did before he tired out against the Red Sox. And like you like you said, Greg, too, I, I think it's important for the bullpen as well, having somebody like Brad Peacock. This is a guy who was successful in the bullpen earlier in the season. He's already proven that. He can come in, give you an inning or two, and get be that bridge. So if there's any kind of, like you said, if there's any faltering from McCullers, if there's any faltering from Morton, whomever you decide to start, even if Colin McHugh gets a start, you can immediately put in a Peacock who's used to that and he's been successful in that role. That's the key, used to it. Now, admittedly, McCullers did a pretty good job uh, coming out of the bullpen in his in his outing, and he was probably stretched one inning more than he could handle. But that's okay because if he went that long as a starter, you've got guys who can come in when they see the first sign of weakness. And there's also a good chance that that last start was just what he needed. He got some innings, and he's still trying to work himself back into shape, and he might be ready uh, to go back into the rotation. And you can't deny that he's got the best stuff of uh, any of the other potential number three starters. And so, yeah, I I think I would go with him. Uh, but, uh, again, it remains to be seen. Uh, they may have to because they may have used Peacock in relief in, in games one or two, but I would go with him anyway uh, because there are some guys that can pick him up as early as the fourth or fifth inning if they have to that are in that bullpen right now. So, that would be my 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 desire. I, it would be also my desire. The Astros won the first two games before they even had to do it, but uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Greg, me and RG talked about this in our last podcast and wanted to get your thoughts on this. These managers seem to be even antsier than they've ever been in history in these postseason games. Uh, they're they're bringing back starters maybe a d- day earlier than they should. Uh, you see them using relievers more and more, and and guys that might not ever be the same after the postseason. You know, Andrew Miller dealt with some injuries this year. He wasn't the same in the postseason for the Indians, you know, after that incredible postseason that he had last year. You know, you can probably point to both sides of this, but, you know, how how do you think this uh, whole, I guess, trend is going, and, and what do you think of that? Well, there's two trends. One is not letting starters go over as long as they used to, not letting them ever even work out of trouble. And number two, putting guys in on short rest. I would not do that ever. I mean, it would have to be a very special pitch. We saw what happened in with Cleveland last night. You know, he said, well, I'm fine. It's good. I'm ready. Short rest. They didn't need to do that. They still had, uh, you know, they, they didn't have to do that. Yes, it was a fifth game, but they, they, the pitcher that comes in with short rest 
is not the same pitcher. He may have the same name, but he's not the same pitcher as the guy that is pitching with his normal routine. And that happens all the time. It's like the manager says, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Roger Clemens is my best guy. I'm bringing him back on three days rest instead of four. He's not going to be the same Roger Clemens. It doesn't work that way. Maybe for a couple of innings of relief, but he's not going to be the same uh, Roger Clemens to pitch long-term. Like, well, for instance, uh, you know, Verlander coming in off the bench, he, he, he gives up a home run, and then he's fine. But he only went two, point, what, two and two-thirds innings or two and a third innings. So he wasn't taxed. Chances are, had he had to go longer than that, we would have seen more than just the one home run he gave up. So I, I am, I am adamantly against bringing pitchers back on short rest. I also am uh, not a big fan of taking them out as early as they do either, especially if they are established pitchers who, uh, and I think we'll see that with both the uh, Keuchel and Verlander. They, they're not going to take them out the same as they would Peacock or, or McCullers or McHugh or somebody like that. I think they're going to give them a little more rope. Oh, definitely. Those two guys are going to get a lot more rope. And, and we had discussed this on the last show. I thought Tom Verducci had a great stat. He wrote about that as far as short rest. He's three days rest uh, between starts and the most recent postseason starts. Uh, two and five in the last 13, with uh, the rest being no decisions, of course. The last 13 starts when managers have elected to go with pitchers on three days rest. So it's uh, uh, oftentimes a gamble. It's just that I think managers have that feeling. And A.J. Hitch even expressed this in the press conference that he gave Thursday before the ALCS starts on Friday. He said that he wanted to be able to have that during games, you have these critical moments that can happen, that can swing a series. And he just wants to have that ability, if there's any kind of senses that trouble's coming, to to make a change. And uh, and that's kind of how managing is going. That we've seen it with Joe Madden, we've seen it with Terry Francona, Joe Girardi, AJ Hinch, whomever. And some might say that's a panic move, and others might say, well, that was you know a smart move in retrospect. And I mean, that's kind of like how baseball is these days. And again, Greg, I, I agree with you. I I think that the the main thing is a don't go with pitchers on at least a start on three days rest. It just hasn't really worked recently. Uh, no, if you I, need I to use one of these guys, yeah. it's, it's game seven, and you need to use one of these guys in relief, and it's only been three days. I don't right. have a problem with that. But uh, actually having them start because he's not going to be effective nearly yes. as long as he was when he was getting full rest. So you're going to have to be bringing the other guys anyway. Yeah, I, I agree with that totally. What about the idea that um, when, you, when you don't let these pitchers, and, and this is another thing that me and RG had talked about on the last podcast, when you don't let pitchers get out of – uh, their own mess, then you you basically put a lot of stress on these pitchers that, you know, hey, I can't do anything wrong or the, the manager's going to come out and get me. It, it, it kind of makes your pitcher a little less relaxed than maybe he would be, and that's not maybe that, what you want in a playoff situation. I agree, and that, especially with the younger pitchers. Uh, the older pitchers will just get mad, but the younger pitchers will can be very much affected by that. They're afraid they're, they're going to make a mistake, and they, they press. It's like uh, – uh, it was the great, uh, oh, the batting instructor, Ted Klozuski, once uh, uh, was a uh, minor league roving instructor for the Reds after he, he was no longer their batting coach. And uh, he, he found this young guy that, uh, and I wish I could remember what his name was, but he ended up playing in the major leagues for a while. But he said uh, uh, he was a really hard-nosed guy. He, played, he said, I play 100%. I go 100% and all this stuff. And Ted said, uh, you should better do about 98%. And he said, what do you mean? He says, well, because that 
going 110% when you're a hitter isn't going to work. He says you're going to be tense, you're going to be tight, you're not going to be relaxed. And that's uh, that's kind of the point here. Uh, you've got to be relaxed. And a young guy who thinks that he's one bad pitch and he's going to jerk him out of there is not going to be relaxed. And as you know in anything, whether it's sports or work or, or just daily life, you're a better person in what you're doing if you're not all tense and tight and are relaxed. And that, that point uh, that I think is a very good one, and that kind of makes the point you were saying. What about this idea that I'm starting to hear that maybe things are changing as far as baseball with uh, the two best offenses in baseball being in the American League Championship this year with the Astros and the Yankees? Uh, do, you, do you feel like this is becoming more and more such an offensive league that maybe that's the key to winning, winning these days more than pitching? I mean, pitching, obviously, you, you, you still have to have a good staff, but these offenses now, Greg, are just uh, so good the way – Guys are hitting home runs and, and that sort of thing. Well, look at the Astros Red Sox series, eight to two, eight to two, ten to three, and the last game was close, but it was what five to four. So it wasn't exactly none of it was pitching dominated for the entire series. Now the Astros got very good pitching in the first two games, but they also scored eight runs in each of those two games. And so uh, yeah, offense is uh, is pretty important. But uh, generally speaking, when the adrenaline is going. Uh, through the arms of some of these pitchers who can throw, they forget that they've pitched 110 innings or 150 innings all summer uh, because, uh, you know, they're they're all of a sudden strong again. So uh, that's why uh, I don't know whether we will see that much hitting. We didn't see that much hitting in the game with Cleveland and the Yankees the last game of the series either until the very end, the Grand Slam. So it's uh, it's uh, uh, I guess it just depends on what your matchup is and how it works. I should say with the uh, not the Cleveland the Yankee Na- game, the National the, Dodgers, uh, yeah, the National League game, yeah, the I mean, National the Nas- Cubs, the National Cubs, yeah, yeah. You know, so so yeah, it depends. It really does depend on how things are going. Uh, managers have a tough job in deciding when to take a guy out, but their job is also a little bit easier than it was 30 years ago because they do have much stronger players in bullpen roles than they had 30 or 40 years ago. So uh, it makes it a little bit easier there. Well, the Astros are going to have to get a lot of their lineup. They did in the Red Sox series. It's been a historic lineup. And there's really, as we've witnessed other Astro lineups in the past, remember that 2005 World Team that couldn't buy a hit, ask Phil Garner about that extra inning game again. But this has been a historic offense, and and they've really been able to work deep counts and get clutch hits, and even their two-strike hitting has been a lot better. And and this is going to be key because I don't want to take anything away from Cleveland, but but let's face it, Edwin Encarnacion, that injury, we don't know what he was really like in that game five. He's a linchpin in their lineup. You know, injuries can always affect things, and and as far as the Yankees, they had outstanding pitching, but the Astros traditionally have done pretty well against power pitchers, and the Yankees have some of those with Severino. Uh, they're going to have guys coming out of the bullpen buying 95 miles per hour or more, you know. And and they, in the past, they've been again like we're using this. They've hit Tanaka well. They have a lot of experience with Sonny Gray having gone against him in the American League West when he was with the Athletics. So, and the Astros don't really have an potentially an easy out you look at that like lineup from top to bottom that's why they've been so tough it's uh, i mean when you have guys like yuli goriel marwin gonzalez brian mccann uh alex bregman hitting in your six through nine spots i mean that really just does not give any pitchers time to breathe there and and, and 
again, I think that's a significant factor for the Astros. They're going to have to capitalize on this. And and in order to win the ALCS, they're going to have to get a lot of uh, potent offense during this series. They will. And I think you've noticed something, too. The last two games, Altuve really didn't do anything. Uh, But he did so much in the first two games, we've never forgotten it. Uh, And uh, the same thing with Correa. He didn't do much in the last two games. But who did? Well, Gurriel, the last two games, was unstoppable. And and Bregman hit a key home run. Uh, They got a key hit from uh, uh, Beltran uh, that uh, drove in what turned out to be the winning run. And uh, and Reddick, so that's the thing about that lineup. That some of it is going to get stopped here and there, but you can't. It's very very hard to stop all nine. And that's kind of what's interesting to me because if you like look over at the Yankees lineup, I mean they they have some guys you want to neutralize. Like Cleveland, they took Aaron Judge out of it. He had three games of four strikeouts or more. They pre, they pretty much made him ineffective in the series, and yet. At, you, know, you know, they had a lineup too where if you look at you know key hits there, uh, D.D. Gregorius was getting key hits in the series. So it's like uh, Brett, Brett Gardner had good at bats in the series. So it's like the Yankees again, they're they're a good lineup too. I think the Astros have the advantage there, and you know, but you just can't look at the Yankees and say, oh well, you know, the, this lineup's going to be something that's uh, going to be easier to face because faced during the regular season. They have some guys in there who are younger again, like a Greg Bird uh, and Aaron Hicks, and uh, even Aaron Judge. We've seen that uh, he's had some problems here in the postseason, but he the guy hit 52 home runs during the regular season. So it's just how do you attack that lineup? Do you say? Take out Judge. How do you focus on it if you're an Astros pitcher? Who are the guys you, you don't want to beat you in this lineup? Uh, and, and that's going to be really interesting. There are going to be some uh, matchups there. And that's, I think, what the Astros are looking at also with kind of the relievers they take on the roster and who they might be able to put in in late situations to go up against some of these Yankees batters. I think Judge is, is really still the key, even though uh, he strikes out a lot. Because he strikes out a lot, he does have a major hole, a spot where he does not hit the ball at all. However, that requires the pitcher to always make the pitch. And if the pitcher doesn't make the pitch, particularly if he's up there with runners on base, that can be the ball game. Anybody who has the potential and power potential, he has certainly their catcher, the, uh, the top of the order, uh, uh, Gardner. They, they've got some other outstanding hitters. But it, it all goes back to making pitches. And that's the same thing with the Astros. You, if you make the pitches... Uh, you're either going to get softer contact or you're just going to get them out. And uh, which team can uh, take advantage of counts? Because as you guys both know, the count is the thing. If you have got yourself as a hitter ahead in the count repeatedly, you're going to do well. And and conversely, if a pitcher is always jumping ahead, no balls and strike one and strike two, and then can put the guy away, get him out within the next two pitches, you're going to do very, very well, too. So it's a simple game. It's just a simple game to explain, but it's a very much more difficult game to actually play. And uh, who plays it the best uh, will win the series. And, Greg, when you said uh, Altuve didn't really do much in the last two games, you meant he only got singles and walks instead of home runs, I think. Uh, Well, didn't he have have one 0 for 4 game where he drove in a run with a double play, and that was kind of his highlight? I'm not sure, but... Yeah, he was 0 for 4 in the last game, and he was 3 for 4 in the game before that. He had a couple of, he also had a, a walk in each one of those games. Well, he was on five right, times. and they lost lost 10 to 3, so I guess that's that's the point I'm making. He wasn't really a factor, and he was a big factor in the first two. But yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. 
<laughs> looking at a 533 average for four games and saying, well, yeah, like he had the, just what he did. Yeah, but he was, hitting, was he was hitting 800. He was hitting 800 after the first two. <laughs> yeah, <I'll> take that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I just, I'm just saying in Reynolds speaking, he wasn't a right. factor in uh, much scoring because you know that time he hit the double plays out there with the bases loaded. And uh, hits into a double play, so that that's kind of. But they won the game. They won the game, and again, it's because other people took over late and and got them got them over the hook because nobody can get a hit every time. Uh, and and Altuve does a pretty good job of getting as close as anybody in baseball. What do you think of this team, Greg? I mean, you've seen a lot of Astros teams in the past. Uh, one of our listeners pointed out that you know this is this might be the most is this the most talented team or this might be the most talented team in a. You know, my feeling was that this is the most talented Astros team from top to bottom, but it's just not the most talented uh, pitching staff. And and the playoffs sometimes that matters a little bit more. We'll see if that matters. But obviously, that 2005 Astros pitching staff, and you might even argue uh, to an extent, the 1998 Astros pitching staff was was better than this one from top to bottom. I don't know what you think about that. To be honest, because of the injuries to Clemens and Pettit that they had to battle over those last two years, I put the 98 staff better than the 20, 2005 staff, but uh, that was a good staff. And I have no question that this is the best top to bottom uh, club the Houston's ever had. I don't, I, I and, you know, I clinched it for me when they won the, the first series because I had it down to them in 98. Because the, 90, the 2005 team was a fairly weak hitting team. It really was. Uh, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, Bagwell was done. They could use him as a DH, and, and he wasn't much of a, uh, you know, he didn't hit well in that role. Biggio was old, and he wasn't Biggio. Uh, Berkman was still there, and Berkman could hit. Berkman is the one guy of the Astro heroes from that era that hit in the postseason. He did it with the Astros. He did it when he moved on to the Cardinals. And uh, and and he he's kind of forgotten because he his career went what about twelve years instead of fifteen. But he uh, uh, he could hit. Um, you know, Ensberg had his moments, but didn't he have his best year in twenty in '04 and fell off in '05? Or maybe I reversed them. But he he didn't. Uh, uh, so that team didn't have the offense that the in the 2014, of course, had uh, Beltron. They didn't have him in 2005. They didn't have Kent in 2005. And uh, so even 2004 was probably a, a better offensive team than the 2005 club. But um, uh, 1998 uh, was, to me, the up until this year, uh, was the best club the Astros have ever had. And now, at least for a single season, this, can, this group of players is the greatest Houston uh, single-season team that they've ever had. And, I, and the, the beauty of it is they're young enough and their contracts are such that they should be able to hang together for at least two or three more years before we start having to deal with that sort of stuff, the money and free agency and arbitrations and all that sort of thing. So this team should be able to hang together in large measure for the next three or four years. And the thing about that 1998 team, too, and let's remember that, I mean, they did have a great all-around team, but the way that the postseason was set up then was what – Kevin Brown and Randy Johnson, they went up against in the first game, both pitched outstanding. I mean, Kevin Brown had, what, 15 strikeouts that game, if I remember. And he was just dominant. And Randy Johnson pitched well, too. He just came up on the short end of the stick. But what really hurt the Astros was kind of this crazy scheduling back then where Kevin Brown could start a game three. So you well, they, had, they, had a, they had rain in there, I think. Didn't they have rain in there? No, I Didn't think they it was have just a rain. kind of a— 
Yeah, it might have been, but there it, might uh, no. I, I don't think so because it was San Diego. So maybe you're right, but I I, I want to say it was just because they had crazy scheduling where it was like know, the baby. Astros had a game one, then a day off, then a game two, and, or something to that effect. And then yeah, they might they might have been. It may have been, but I I thought there was yeah. something fluky, and I didn't think it was a TV schedule, but it might have been. But anyway, that it was really having it to where they Kevin Brown was able to pitch start two of the first three games and put the Astros immediate hole. And then you're playing for your life on uh, a game four with Randy Johnson having to go. And then you have, uh, you know, Sterling Hitchcock. And we all know how that, well, that was, the, that was the killer. That was the killer. Yeah. Sterling Hitchcock yeah. elevated himself greater than he ever had in his career. And I think and there's that was just a the lot color. of pressure, what we were talking about earlier, when you're saying there's a lot of added pressure. I mean, you saw it with the Indians. You're you're the favored team. It, it's hard to – and I think that's an interesting angle to look at it from the Yankees here. They're playing with house money. Nobody, Everybody thought that this would be a rebuilding year for the Yankees. And uh, then they went up against this juggernaut Cleveland team that won 22 games in a row during the regular season. And, uh, you know, they were supposed to they lost the first two games and weren't supposed to do anything. Just, you know, they won the wild card round, go back home, start uh, continue the rebuild for next season. And instead, they're playing in the ALCS now against the Astros. I think the Astros, though, too, I mean, are really kind of playing, you know, I think the expectations were to win the division, were to win a playoff series, but kind of like win a pennant now. I mean, that's that's all within the reach or, or the goal. So I, I don't think the expectations are as big on the Astros as they were on the Indians. That's a team that lost the World Series last year and doing that. So I think this is a very interesting series. And I, I, I like the aspect of, of playing at, you know, this Yankees team and, and both of them have something that to shoot for, but this is a different Yankees team than in years past when you had the Jeter squads that came in heavily favored and all the expectations and playing with expectations are just much different. I think in the postseason. I think the Yankees will be looser, but at the same token, I think the Astros, uh, uh, you're right. When the season began, the concept was let's win the division and uh, maybe win a playoff round. And then we'd have a successful year because you're supposed to go, you know, one year at a time. But once they got off to such a great lead and they were dominating all season long in the American League until the Indians uh, stretch drive, and especially how well they played once they got Verlander in that last month of September. Because remember, in July, they were kind of, they were going to win, but they were all of a sudden, all their holes were showing up and uh, all the holes with the club. They were having stretches where they, couldn't drive in runs and they then they you know they were keeping batting averages up pretty well but they had stretches where they were leaving guys on base and they weren't driving people in and the pitching was collapsing a little bit partly because of injuries or overuse in the case of the bullpen but then September all of a sudden now we're ready as it turned out and they they are and so now it's a question of uh living up to the expectations that they have risen to uh from not only their fans but themselves and that's why it would be so great if they could come out of the gate, not only not just winning these first two games, but doing them kind of like they did in Bo- with Boston, dominating those first two games. That doesn't guarantee anything. They still could lose the, the third game because they did like they did in Boston. And they could have even lost the fourth game. It was that close. But I would have had great confidence they would have won game five with uh, Berlander on the mound, and, and it would have been right where we are. But, uh, no, I want, them to, I want them to have a couple of games to start this series that are not no-doubters to kind of take the pressure off that puts the Yankees back in the, what do we have to lose classification again? And maybe that's where they want to be or should be, but that still would be the advantage for the Astros to not have to, uh, not have to 
squeak them out, but I guess fans would take wins no matter how they got them. Being the Houston history, and you know this as well too. I mean, we'll t- Astros will take uh, and Houston fans will take wins wherever they can get them. But to be, yeah, I, I like your scenario playing out there, Greg, where it's the Astros uh, dominate the first two games and then go with a 2-0 series lead to the Bronx. But I also wanted to ask both of you guys. To me, a big part of that closeout game, and 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 Robbie and I discussed this a little bit on a post game show that we did, was Ken Giles because uh, we're going to have a matchup of closers here and. Both managers have they'll, they'll go to Joe Girardi will go to Raldis Chapman for a couple of innings. We've seen that, and AJ Hinch is going to do that with Ken Giles. To me, it was great having him pitch in Fenway in a closeout situation where screaming fans, elimination game for the Red Sox, and he was able to shut the door on them. And I thought after that Devers inside the park home run that it could unravel and things could come apart at the seams. To me, that's huge going forward into this series because he's going to have to go to the Bronx. He's going to have to pitch in front of that madhouse out there. And he's also going to have to close games, you know, in tight situations, even at Minute Maid Park or in a potential game six or seven. He can at least recall, go back to that. I've done this before in the postseason. And it just wasn't yeah. a mop-up duty situation. It was something where I was going in one of the hallowed grounds, Fenway Park, and I shut a team down. Well, on that for two innings. Uh, that's that's uh, something he normally doesn't have to do. The only thing that makes me and I guess most Astro fans nervous about him is he will have a tendency to at least one hitter to go three balls and no strikes. Uh, now, he did that in Boston, but he got him out. He came back, strike one, strike two, and I don't know whether he struck him out or got him on a pop-up or a ground out, but he got him out. But, boy, that's that's nervous time when you're just like old two-pack Stanhouse that pitched for the Orioles years ago and Earl Weaver's the manager, and he, he he was one of those guys who was always falling behind on the count, yet he'd, he'd end up getting the result, and he was known as two-pack Stanhouse because Earl was quite a smoker, and he'd uh, he'd go through a couple down the uh, runway while he was on the mound. And uh, that's the ones that make you nervous. But if he throws strikes uh, with his uh, slider and his fastball, he's, uh, he's a very tough relief pitcher, and and I think you're right. He's developed confidence in himself as the season has gone on. Well, let's hope AJ doesn't pick up a smoking habit having to watch Ken Giles. <laughs> well, I hope not. You mean you don't like Ken Giles' uh, 90-year-old woman thing where he like shakes his glove as he comes to the <laughs> comes to the stretch to, to to make the pitch? He has that deal where he just like shakes his glove and, and, and he's like gathering the ball in the glove like he's uh, had too much coffee or something like that. Also, uh, RG, I couldn't help but think of you know him going to the Bronx and you, you kind of reminded me of Beyung Young Kim back in the day with the Arizona. Diamondbacks in that that uh, that series, which uh, they they ended up pulling it out, but it wasn't because of it wasn't so much because of Byung Young Kim. I did they, he did get the final three. No, outs, he though. failed. I think he failed. I think every time he was out there, yet he'd had a tremendous regular season. So well, you never, you're had, right. You never know. Giles has had success, and the other thing too that I'll uh, and you guys both know this that was the old Yankee Stadium and uh, this is the new Yankee Stadium so a little bit different demon you know, ghosts and and playing in that park everybody says it's much different it, as electric as it's been at the new Yankee Stadium they won a championship there in 2009 and of course won the the wild card game there the games against Cleveland that old stadium there was just something special magical about it and so i mean at least fortunately the Astros have already won a postseason game at the the new Yankee Stadium, it just can go back a couple of years and feel the confidence from that. Well, I think there's a difference too that since they've been playing in the same league uh, since 2013, they've played each other 
uh, a number of times every year. So I, I don't think it's quite the same uh, awestruck, uh, awe-striking place to a fellow American League team as it might be to a National League team when they come in for a World Series, for instance. And I, I think that has to have helped a little bit, too. They've been there before. And Carlos Beltran, you know, played there last year. He's played there before uh, as a as a home player, as well as Brian McCann. So they've got guys that have actually been in Yankee uniforms, and they're familiar with that. But also, uh, Greg, just the thing that I, I want to finish up with, and, uh, you know, if you have any predictions or final thoughts, but, you know, Greg, one of the things that I was just listening to these these guys in the post-game celebration, uh, Steve Sparks' uh, legendary uh, <laughs> post-game interviews and stuff like that. He was talking to different, different guys. And I, I just can't recall a team uh, as close-knit as this Astros group. You know, you hear guys talk about how much they like each other, but these guys talking about uh, even the veterans, the guys like Verlander said this. I've not, they, They've said, and Brian McKinn, they've said they haven't been in a locker room where – guys really genuinely want to win for the other guys, but they also want the other guys to do well. You know, you, there's guys that want to win. Um, you, you always have that, you know, he says you're, you always got guys in the locker room that want to win really bad and then want to play really well, but, but want wanting their teammates to play well and all that kind of thing. This group is just, uh, it seems real different to me than, than any team that I've ever seen. And it, it's just, the, it seems like the, just the perfect mix of veterans and young guys and and they bring that joy of the of youth and then also some just great veterans some wonderful veterans to to level that whole thing off well what about uh, McCann making the comment that this is uh, his most favorite place he's ever played and he's been a lot of places I thought it was striking off the postgame show for two things last night this is off the Fox postgame show uh on uh, after the uh, the Yankees victory two things number one A-Rod on the panel talked about how last season uh, Carlos Beltran really worked with D.D. Gregarious. I'm not sure that's good, but he, re- Car- I mean, A-Rod mentioned this, that Beltran was teaching him what to do and how to do it and how to think and all this sort of stuff. Well, he's been doing that a lot with the Astros this year, and of course the players will tell you that. Uh, but the other thing was the excitement level and it's this team level in the clubhouse with the Yankees didn't seem to be nearly the same as it was with the Astros. And I'm not talking about blase Yankees, because as you pointed out, these guys are, most of them are all new guys. I mean, they, they haven't won a bunch of World Series championships. Uh, so it's not a question of, uh, you know, Cheater's been here forever, and a uh, uh, bunch of other players have been here forever, so it's no longer a big deal. No, these are all mostly new guys. And it wasn't anywhere near uh, the same. Even the interviews weren't quite the same. And so uh, I thought that was striking just watching it myself. I don't know if anybody else noticed it. Correa actually said uh, in an interview in the post game, I think it was just the just this post game after the the champagne celebration. He said, you know, you, he goes out to dinner with Carlos Beltran, and he says, when I get home and I'm like lying there in bed, I, I realize that I've learned ten different things, ten new things, just from having dinner with him that night. Not not all always about baseball, but he says I learn about ten different things just from having dinner with him. Uh, that's why I get upset when I see all these people complaining about the old guy because I'll tell you what, what's he got, two hits and a walk in the postseason? He's hardly played, but he's had two hits and a walk, and all of this other stuff that he has done helping these young players and his team attitude, 
uh, you can't put uh, a statistic on that, and that's uh, that's very, very true. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Greg. I, I've been a big proponent of Carlos Beltran, and I was actually a little bit surprised when A.J. Hinch left him out against Rick Port- Porcello in that last game where he's had a lot of success over his career against Rick Porcello. But, hey, uh, A.J. Hinch turned out to be right, pinch-hitting him late where he gets that key double. But I just like even the stuff that he does within games – he is able to extend at bats. He's able. He knows how to have a yes. professional at bat when he gets up there. And gets back to what you were saying earlier about bringing up pitch counts. If you make a pitcher pitch seven, eight, nine, even if you have an out, it's a productive out. You see more pitches. The pit, the batters around you see those pitches. It tires a pitcher out, and that's what Carlos Beltran has done. And he's had an exceptional postseason average over his career. And I just feel really comfortable having him in those situations. And so I I don't look at him as oh hey, it's the old guy in the club but I mean he also brings all these other things like instructing Carlos Correa or Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman or whomever I mean he's just a great he's a font of knowledge he's he's great to have in the clubhouse and and for all the Houston fans that booed him over the years and everything after he left the Astros I mean and you're now seeing what kind of person he is, what he did for uh, Puerto Rico after their devastating hurricane, just the, the person he's been in the clubhouse, how he comes up with key hits that help the Astros advance. So I hope that people can, uh, and they are, uh, people now, I mean, love Carlos Beltran again, Beltran jerseys are all over the park, and, and, that, and that's great to see. And he's only going to be here this year. I mean, it's a one-year contract, and he's obviously, as a player, he's pretty close to, to done, but he can still get a hit here and there, and that's... Uh, that could still be helpful for this team and the games they have remaining. The other thing that struck me in the post game was just Lance McCullers talking about how much he loved this city. He had grown to love this city, wanted to win for this city. You know what he saw that's happened over in the last couple of months, obviously with Harvey and, but just, you know, just how quickly this whole team has attached to this city. Cause a lot of these guys, obviously this is pretty much all these guys have been here just within the last two, three, four Years there's no, there's no veteran of Houston Astros that's been here forever. Uh, Keuchel and you know maybe Altuve, those two guys are your your long term veterans. And hey, don't forget Mar Marwin. There's yeah. three guys that were there that are still there when I last worked uh, for the Astros at games, and that was in 2012. And Marwin, Keuchel, and Altuve. That's it. Everybody else is new. And they really, you know, the other thing they they really do is they represent the diversity. That is Houston. You know, you've got Puerto Rico, you've got Venezuela, you've got, you know, George Springer that, you know, he comes from a mixed background that's, uh, you know, it, it's you, you've got all these different characters and all of these different guys from different backgrounds all over the country and all over the world. And so, you know, if, to me, it's the perfect team that represents Houston in a way. And, and, and I feel like you don't want to say it out loud, but it feels like there's a little bit of destiny at stake, you know, that could be at stake here. Well, if the World Series goes I think seven games. I think it ends on the 31st, which is Halloween. And which team has a Halloween color in their uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> so there's your destiny. <laughs> there you go. That that leads me to, to my next, my last thing here, Greg. What any, any prediction for this Astros team? You know what? If their destiny, here's what's going to happen. The Cubs or the Nationals will knock out the Dodgers and the Astros will have the home field again. How about that? Oh, that would be nice. Although it, <laughs> it it would be fun to knock out the Red Sox, Yankees, and Dodgers. It, 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 you know that to me, as a longtime Houstonian and as as somebody that uh, is one of those people that felt like you know Houston 
didn't always get the most respect. And, you know, we, we'd been kind of quashed by the, the big boys. Uh, th- th- that would be pretty sweet to go through the three most storied teams in baseball, the three major markets, you know, the three national media centers, I guess, uh, you know, along with Chicago, of course. But that, that would be pretty sweet. I know the TV guys, uh, based on who's left, I mean, obviously the Yankees are the Yankees. But presuming the Astros beat the Yankees, they would certainly love to see, the TV guys would love to see a Dodger-Astro World Series because they know weather would not be a factor. And uh, and baseball would love it in that regard because even though they're playing almost in November, no one would know. No one would notice. Uh, and so that would be another positive if that were a matchup. But we'll just have to, they'll just have to play it on the field. And we'll have to find out and we'll have to follow it regardless who who it is. Yeah, I think I, I think we're all in agreement here. Just Astros get to the World Series. Who cares who the opponent is? Win an AL pennant. Be the first team to win an NL and an AL pennant and play in the World well, Series. Well, win again. You have to win a game. Win. You actually you absolutely have to win a game in the World Series. Yeah. If you're not going to win the whole thing, you better win one. <laughs> Don't want to have the ignominious uh, notation of two World Series representing each league and never winning a game. That would not be good. Before we close it out, Greg, just uh, last thing. Three guys will probably be sitting behind home plate at Minute Maid that are in Cooperstown. And two of them you've written about. Just a reminder, uh, the book is still available, right? Oh, yeah. It's uh, Houston to Cooperstown, the Biggio Bagwell years of the Houston Astros. Uh, Barnes & Noble still has it. You can Obviously, you can order it online uh, through Amazon. You might get a deal if you do that. Uh, I know it's been available in a couple of other places, but it should be available, I won't say till time immemorial, but actually with Amazon, that's almost true. I bought some books there from other people that were written five or ten years before. Uh, but uh, it's a great idea for those of you following the Astros now to get boned up on your history about some of the great players in the past and also uh, put it to your into your library because I can guarantee you someone's going to write a book about this season and so you can put that one right next to that and you'll have everything covered in the Astro golden years have you thought about a story angle or a book for this season too no I'm not close enough anymore and I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, Bill Brown may be doing a photo book and because uh, that's what his hobby is now, and he's been taking a lot of pictures. And I think that Brian McTaggart uh, has also been taking notes uh, throughout the season for one of those books that you could turn around pretty quick if they won the uh, the World Series. I think uh, I think at least those two guys are doing it. And so, no, I'm not really close enough anymore. So uh, I'm leaving it up to them. Well, Greg, uh, it's also the perfect uh, your book's the perfect book as we head towards Christmas. It's a great Christmas gift for the, your favorite Astro fan, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, because it's part of the history of the whole franchise, and uh, it, it's what leads up to what we have now, and hopefully uh, that was the golden era up to this point, but this group of players have a chance to make that the silver golden era, or the silver era, because this may be the golden era ultimately when it's all said and done. Well, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. Always love talking to you guys. Thank you, Greg. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.